My last sermon I gave was the Forgotten Gospel. And I had given my testimony, or at least a part of it, a kind of an updated testimony. And then I started going into the suffering of Christ and how He relates to everything that we could possibly experience in life. And it's more than just experiencing sin, repenting, and forgiveness, right? That's the sin cycle that a lot of Christians seem to get themselves into. And as I said last time, sometimes the only difference between an atheist and a Christian is the amount of guilt. An atheist is just okay with the sin and they just move on from it. But a Christian just feels guilty about it, but they, you know, it's still there. And so it's important that we look at Scripture and find how do we actually break out of this cycle, you know? Because as we know, if we go around this merry-go-round 30, 50, 100 times, we know that this breaks us. This will break our faith. It will break our hope. So I'm going to go into, I'm going to go into uh, the Forgotten Gospel again today. I'll go over a little bit of what I went over last time. We'll just kind of quickly go through it without my testimony. And then I've got some more things to talk about on that. And then uh, my next sermon, which will, might be next week, um, maybe not, I don't know. But uh, my next sermon will actually go into how to use the forgotten gospel to alleviate shame and guilt, how to get that out of our lives so that we can uh, grow in Christ. And then um, another one that I might be preparing is on anger and rage and how to deal with anger and rage and how to use the suffering of Christ to deal with that. So before we continue, I will pray if you'll bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, this message that I am ready to share is an important message that we all need to know because it is, it is why. It is why Jesus Christ suffered. That it's something brutal to look at, but it's something that causes a relationship with Jesus in our true experiences in our lives. And it, and it grows that relationship so that we know we can rely on Jesus and we know that His sacrifice was for us. So God, we just ask that You use me as Your mouthpiece, that everything I say matches the Word of God, and that You send angels down to guard everyone's ears and their minds to apply what they've learned, but to be able to be convicted of what is the truth and not be led astray. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, what I was calling the forgotten gospel was something that throughout my life and through my testimony, it was something that converted me finally, but I kind of forgot it with how to deal with my own life and the things that I was struggling with because I was hopping on the sin merry-go-round. Um, and we can't, we can't use Jesus Christ as this just plastic uh, sense of of forgiveness and salvation, but it's a real rubber meets the road savior. He's not just 
somebody that we, you know, that we hang a cross or a crucifix on a wall or we, we, we do something for Him once a week and we just go about our days the rest of the time and do whatever we want. He really is there to, to do, to, to relate with us. So, you know, I, I asked what was this forgotten gospel? Well, in Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Jesus' own words, in the in Paul's gospel and the gospel of uh, the writer of Hebrews and Peter, we know that they all included the suffering as a part of the plan of salvation, and it's something that's really hard to look at the depths of which Jesus suffered, and so we sometimes just kind of push it off because it's so difficult to look at. But we want to we want to look at that. The typical Jesus understanding we have and we tell people is that Jesus died for your sins. He rose again to give us eternal life. And that's absolutely true. But we're not, And we're not getting into heaven without Christ dying for our sin. But if we stop there, if we don't do anything more, it creates that sin cycle. We sin. These bad behaviors, these lies that we've built up into our lives, they're still affecting us. And it causes us to want to reach out to something that's going to numb that pain. Whether it's food, whether it's anger, pornography, whatever it may be, there's things that are there. And we know that we can repent of it and we can ask for forgiveness and God forgives us. But then if we don't deal with the underlying problem, it just happens again and again. Um, if G- Jesus said that I came to suffer, die, and rise again, at the Last Supper, Jesus again says, I came to suffer. I came to eat this ma- meal before I suffer. And the disciples the whole time were arguing over, you know, what's going to happen, you know, who's going to be the greatest, and all this stuff. They completely check out and they missed it. It became hidden to them, it was forgotten. So we know that Jesus is suffering. Here's all the things. There's nothing that you can find that you could have experienced that Jesus can't relate to you in some way. He was born to an unwed mother, blended family, no earthly father, refugee in Egypt, alone and betray, alone, alone and abandoned, betrayed by a kiss. He was abused more than any of us could imagine, physically violated, shamed and humiliated. As we were talking about in Sabbath school, he was ripped of his clothes. He was naked before everyone you know, how could you experience that kind of humiliation and degradation like he was trash? Verbally, mentally, by authority figures, by Satan, tempted to perform miracles, tempted to numb pain, he was asking why. He was rejected and he looked like a failure in ministry. There's nothing that he can't relate to us in our lives. This is where we have the rubber meets the road Savior. No matter how hard it looks, it is to look at what He's done for us. This is what He's done for us. And we need to look at it. We need to relate it to our lives. When we, when we see a person's testimony, when we hear a testimony, we know that those are powerful because they relate to us. And that we see, oh, that, you know, that's similar to my story. And I've had uh, several people after giving my testimony came up to me that said, you know, that's just like my story. And that's, you know, this part was like my story. And this relates to me. And those are all powerful and they work in our lives. But Jesus relates to all of us. And that's ultimately the testimony that we need to point people to. It's great to bring people in with those testimonies, those personal testimonies and what Jesus has done for us. But then the healing is created when we when we lead them to Jesus. 
The problem I see with most Christians in most Christian uh, denominations is they almost see Jesus as a Mr. Rogers with a beard. You know, this nice, good old guy who's, who's there to forgive us and look down on us and be thankful and all these different things. He's a nice guy, but he's up there and he can't really help me. He'll forgive me, but he doesn't, he can't really help me. But I want to look at it this way, that yes, he was divine. Yes, he knew what was going to happen. But still in his humanity, he was abandoned and betrayed. He chose to go through all of that. He was tempted to over and over to end it. Isaiah 63.3, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. The reason support works, support groups work so well is because you end up being with people that have the common problem. An Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, an Overeaters group, uh, a Women uh, Battered group. You know, you can go there and everyone understands. They understand the triggers. They understand this. And those why that, that's so important. But Jesus experienced everything that we could experience. He understands all of uh, everything that we go through, all the temptations. He's experienced them. Jesus has walked in every single one of our shoes. He was beaten to a pulp. Isaiah 52:14 says, "Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men." So he was marred to the point where he didn't even look human anymore. Remember I was talking about the whips, they were they would intertwine uh, pieces of metal and balls of steel and glass and bones and they would just whip until flesh was torn off their backs in fact sometimes that people that had to go through the beating wouldn't make it to the crucifixion because they would miss and it would go around their stomach and when they pulled it it would just disembowel them right there it tore their flesh so much and that's what jesus experienced that all of this was just destroying him When I think about, um, oh, let's see here. Remember, I, I don't know if anybody took the time to do it, but I had mentioned before about reading Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the suffering, the suffering servant chapter. It's the chapter that is quoted more in the New Testament than any other book from the Old Testament. Over and over, he's re- referred to back to the Isaiah 53, which was suffering servant. So it's a very, very critical chapter, I think, to read. The disciples, of course, as we talked about, we were they were looking for a militant disciple. They disciple. They were a militant messiah. They were underneath Rome, and they wanted somebody to switch the tables. And what they forgot or what they missed out on was that Jesus was there to die for them, but he was also there to die for the Romans. He was there for to die for all of us. The suffering of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, to connect that to our lives, it really expands the gospel. To, to, to know that before he died, Luke 9.22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief of priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So he's telling them, I'm going to suffer Nobody was looking for him to rise, of course. None of his followers. The, his enemies were afraid he was going to rise, and they had put things into effect to try and counter it or whatever, what, what, what could happen. But after Jesus rose, he goes on a journey, 
and he's walking beside the disciples and they're walking along the road and the disciples are like, uh, and he's talking to them and the disciples are like, don't you know what happened? We thought he was the Messiah. And here, you know, he's there standing beside them and he doesn't get it. But he's like, what, don't you know? Don't you know what happened? We'll tell you. We thought he was the Messiah. It wasn't him. And so Jesus has to rebuke them essentially. He says, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. And in Jewish uh, beliefs, the heart is where we get all of our beliefs and all of our, our, our core uh, faith and stuff. In all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So he's teaching them again. This is, I, we, he had to suffer. I had to suffer. Now he goes into the upper room and he gives the same message and he teaches this on and off to them for 40 days. And at the end, he tells them they must pray for 10 days. Before Jesus dies, he's talking about suffering. After his resurrection, he's talking about his suffering. And what happens to the disciple after they finish praying for 10 days? In Acts 3.18, he said, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So we, we see that they had sat there and prayed and they had connected to God and they connected to Jesus Christ and they had this realization of his suffering. And they come out and this is what they were praying about for 10 days. They finally accepted it and got it. And so when they did this, that was the key theme of that, the suffering Messiah. They finally got it. And so what we do is, um, you know, at this point, I, I was seeing that this is where what I was missing. This is what I wasn't getting to, to apply in my life. I didn't understand how to apply this. And so in Hebrews 4.15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but it was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And remember, I was talking about this verse that it's so unique how it's worded. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. The double negative there. And, you know, I, was, I gave the example of me as an elder. I could, I could uh, say that I am an elder and I could sympathize with my congregation. However, in some degree, it, it gives the opportunity for me to not do it. It's like a, a choice that I, I can s- sympathize but maybe I won't, or maybe I, I, can't, I won't, or whatever. But here, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. So he's basically saying that Jesus Christ has no choice but to sympathize because of everything he's gone through. He's gone through everything we could go through. So that double negative is driving home the point that there is no choice but that Jesus Christ can relate to everything we, we experience. Now... Um, if you remember, I mentioned how it was brought. It's it's in the communion service. This is my body broken for you. Now, the most important thing is that we move from information and we use prayer to apply to apply it to applicate to, that to our lives, and then we use prayer again to move through to transformation. That we break free from the sin cycle. We all know that the sin cycle doesn't work. I gave the example of the diet. $60 billion spent every year. Only 5% of the people keep the weight off. So we see this in society, whether within Christianity or not. I, I even gave the example of um, how exciting is it 
for a church member or for myself to go out into the community and share the gospel if I haven't experienced anything in my life, if I haven't experienced true healing. You know, it's Christ died for my sins. I'm forgiven. You know, that's great. But when we ride this roller coaster, this merry-ground round for a while, and we have this this sin building up, we start feeling a lack of faith, a lack of hope, and we're not as gung-ho to go out in the community and share it. Because even though it is important, um, if we don't feel and we don't experience that healing, it, it, it loses its realness. It becomes, starts becoming plastic. Jesus' mission statement, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, recover sight for the blind, set at liberty the bruised. This day in Scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Luke 4.18, and he's quoting from Isaiah 61.1, that this is his mission statement, to actually provide real, tangible healing for all the people. It shows us that this must be the most important aspect in our gospel message. And if you remember, I also talked about how the word receive is actually used 257 times in the New Testament. And I know a lot of people had some good intentions, um, but in afterwards, there were, you know, people were talking about overcoming. And we kind of get into that, that mindset. Uh, when we're in the church, that you need to submit your will to God and you need to pray harder, you need to overcome, you need to do something. And realistically, what we need to do is just receive Christ. And that's why that word is used 257 times. Receive Christ. Receive Christ. We need to receive so that Christ can do it. I can't overcome, but Christ already did. Yeah, so just let him do it again. He already overcame. I can't heal myself. Let Christ do it. I can't, I don't, I am nothing. I am dirty rags without Christ. Hebrews 4, 15, 16 again. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. All points tempted as we are. Not some, not only mine, not, not half the congregation, all points. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He overcame everything. We needed to share and understand this, that when he was tempted to believe that he was rejected, abandoned, betrayed, not good enough, alone, he was beaten almost to death, Nailed to the cross. The devil didn't give him a free pass. He didn't stop speaking in his lies into his ear. Hebrews 2.18 For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So, So that was everything that I went over in the last sermon. So we're all caught up. The suffering, the torture, the betrayal. When God was on, or when Jesus was on the cry, or on the cross, and He said, "My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me?" He's crying out, "Why, why?" Revelation three eight thirteen eight. All who dwell on the earth will worship Him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, Lamb slain 
from the foundation of the world. He's the lamb from the foundation of the world. Some might say, well, he was, he was only beaten for one day. And I was beaten for 20 years. But, I, you know, not to talk down anyone who had, got, who had gotten abused, but Jesus took all of that. And he was beaten to the point where he didn't even look human anymore. He, he took all of, our, all of the temptations, all of the abuse, all of the sin that we have. He didn't take part of it. What we really want to do is get deeper today into what are the roots of sin. Because it's the roots of sin that bear the fruit on the branches, right? So how does God break the cycle of sin and forgiveness? I sin, I ask forgiveness. I sin, I ask forgiveness. What are the roots? And we really need to start figuring out how do we add in the healing and the cross so that we can break this cycle, so that we can, we can take on and have the roots of Jesus' suffering so that we can have a new tree and we can break that cycle and we can have roots of healing and we can have new fruit. We can have fruits that we're supposed to have. The best example of this is a tree that we have roots and we have branches and all of this. Jesus Christ used it several times. But you've actually, you can actually go to the store right now and you can find trees that were grafted together. So it's an apple tree with like three different apples on it. And they have grafts of all these trees onto, onto the same tree. You could have a pear tree with three or four different kinds of pears or you know, all these different things. And that's what we need to figure out is how do we graft in Jesus Christ's suffering to create new fruit? Jesus used the same analogies in Matthew 4 or Malachi 4.1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall, uh, shall set them ablaze, Lord, says the Lord of hosts, so that will leave them neither root nor branch. The next verse, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, oops, I spelled that wrong, shall rise with healing in its wings. So now if we go back to where sin all began, we have Adam and Eve, right? What did Adam and Eve, yeah, the apple. <laughs> but what did, Adam, what did Eve believe first? Did she believe a lie first? Or did she have, uh, engage in the behavior of taking the fruit first? Which happened first? She believed the lie, right. And there's a lot of people, though, that believe that she engaged in the behavior first, but she believed in the lie first. Sin began with Adam and Eve believing in lies. Now, Adam, he believed a different lie. He believed a different lie than Eve did, but he still believed a lie, and that led to sin. So what does Jesus call Satan? What does Jesus call Satan in, in the Bible? He calls him the father of sins, John eight forty four. because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He never says, oh, well, he's the father of sin. He's the father of lies. Can't tell the truth, but those lies is what instigate and lead to the sin. In the garden, um, Eve saw that fruit as good. Not only the fruit, but what it offered, the knowledge, the, I, you know, I, the, they believed a lie that God was holding something back, that I need this fruit. And she saw that it was good. And it was more than just that, just the fruit itself, but the whole package. 
And it's the same way with me. When I buy into Satan's lies, I believe that I'm worthless. I believe that I'm alone. I'm a, I believe that I can't do it. I believe that, you know, all these different things. And what we do is we end up trying to numb that pain in some way. And a lot of people do it in a lot of different ways, whether it's anger, replace it with something else. But we, we, we numb it with anger. We can numb it with pornography. We can numb it with food. Uh, you know, I'm good with the food stuff. That's why they call it comfort food. You know, that's what it is. It comforts us. But when we lead to that, that's a problem. Adam believed a different lie. He believed that he would be nowhere without Eve, that he had to take her side. Uh, he took Eve's side over God. And, and where do we see men suffering now more than often than not? Now, we're to the point that a lot of times we can see men who suffer with food and we have women who suffer with sex. But from the origins, it was women suffering with food and men suffering with sex. And still, the majority of the time, that's what we see in our society now. The same thing that started the originally. In Romans 5.12, this is what happened. Sin came into the world by one man, Adam. So he fell. He f- he's the one that caused the fall. The second Adam overcame where the first fell. He was tempted in all the same ways, but he overcame. Hebrews 2.18, because Jesus was tempted as we are and suffered as we do, he understands us and is able to help us when we're tempted. Like I said, he's overcome everything already, so let him do it. Jesus said Satan was the father of all lies, the father of false beliefs. And when we, when we believe those falsehoods, when we believe those lies, do we you know, end up wallowing in those beliefs? Do we, end up, do we want to? I mean, we, we don't. I mean, if I start feeling, oh, I'm worthless, I can't do that. The, the strangest thing, I always have, I'll be walking along doing something, uh, it could be anything, building a hoop house or playing with my son. And the strangest thing, things will pop into my head from 20 years ago of how something stupid I did who met, what, that messed up a relationship or messed up a situation or I did something that caused my, uh, me to lose a job or something like that. That pops into my head from 20 years ago as if it's relevant. And I start thinking, well, I'm worthless. I'm going to mess this up too. I'm going to do something else wrong. And the first thing you do is you want to get away from that. You want to, you want to, you want to get away with it. But what happens is if we, if we escape to the incorrect things, we, we escape to sins, food, anger, we get mad at something, we're just like, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and, you know, those are, those are, that's how the devil wins. That's how the devil wins inside us. In Matthew 15:18, uh, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Paul comes along in Romans 1.25 and he says, they traded the truth of God for a lie. And that's what happens is when we start believing those lies and we keep them in our heart that we have all of these evil things start popping up in our lives. The devil is very successful at getting Christians to confess their bad, uh, their bad be- fruit, which we should do. Don't get me wrong. We need to confess our bad behaviors. But when we don't deal with the belief system behind the behavior, as long as the roots are there, they're going to generate more negative feelings. We start feeling worthless and unwanted, and they, they pop back up. The fruit cre- gets 
grows back out. That's what's so neat about using the fruit analogy. When I have a fruit tree, every year it produces the same fruit unless I do something to change that tree. And that's what happens in our lives. The bad apples keep growing growing back. So we do need to confess those bad behaviors and we do need to get those so that we can be forgotten. But we also need to deal with the root. Satan would love us to only focus on the behavior. Only deal with the apples. Because that's what he wants. The people that are in the church, the people that are devoted to God, if he can get them to only focus on the behaviors, well then we never change. We never heal. We never become what Christ wants us to become. What... What I heard somebody call it, uh, Paul Konef, he calls it satanic ping pong. And so what happens is, is you believe a lie from the devil and you sin, right? So he knocks the ball to the other side of the table. Then you end up on the other side, right? I sinned. Darn it. Well, the devil's on the other side and he says, bounces it back. You're a bad Christian. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough to ask God for help. And so he bounces it back. And then guess what? He's over on this side. Just just take another bite. That cheesecake won't be that bad. Or just visit that website you know you shouldn't visit. Or it's okay to blow up at that guy on the road. Or it's okay to live in that rage. He just bounces us back and forth. He's playing both sides of the game. And we're the ping pong in the center. Oh yeah, nip it in the bud, yep. (laughs) So let's go back to this cycle. And we're just going to use comfort food because I know that's one that I can relate to quite a bit. I like my ice cream. (laughs) And ice cream itself is not bad, but when you eat it the way I do, it's not good. (laughs) So when I feel bad, I often can find myself going to comfort food. And when I don't go to the comfort of the Holy Spirit instead, and I stick with the comfort food, then so someone says they feel lonely. They feel alone, and Satan starts slipping this little lie in. So they deal with it with food. They turn to food. And now what happens when we turn to food? Now we know I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be dealing with that food. So now I feel shame. And now I have shame and I have guilt And what happens then? Because now I feel bad again. And now I turn to food again. So I end up having the same process. I I bear more of the same fruit. My video is a little slow. Or it crashed. Oh, there it goes. (laughs) Self-pity. So it goes into food, shame, and then we have weight gain, and then we have addiction. What happens is, is we start building this cycle. And so... Um, what happens is is the what we're practicing becomes stronger. What we give energy to becomes stronger. We often say that someone who uh, who has these problems, whether they have an anger issue or they have uh, a smoking issue or an alcoholic issue or a weight gain issue or something like that, that person's just weak-willed. But it's not true. That person has a very strong will to keep doing the bad behaviors they've been doing because they've built that will up, Right? We often go, um, oh, there was an example I remember. Uh, let's say we have a guy with, that's an alcoholic. And he's gotten to, so bad that he's gotten kicked out of his church. His wife's left him. 
He's lost his job. His kids are gone. And you come and you find him with his last Budweiser beer. And you say, I've got a plan. We can get you your job back. We can get you your wife back. We can get you back in the church. We can do all this. We can restore everything. All you have to do is give me that last beer. Better be ready to fight. Because <laughs> it's the last beer. And that's the will that that person has developed and built and strengthened. That's the will that's going strong inside them. And so that's what we have to be dangerous of. Is every time we give energy and power to bad behavior, that's where we build that will and it'll be harder to break later. Sometimes we think that a person must not be a good enough Christian. Like I said, they don't pray enough or we don't trust God enough or they don't build, you know, you don't need to give your will to God. And something I think happens here at the neurological level. They build up a will within themselves and the cycle becomes so difficult it actually starts growing roots of its own, just the behavior itself. We have to remember how this root system works. We can expect Jesus to heal us like he did with a a leper, just one touch. You know, we're all good. And sometimes people have that expectation with baptism. Now, baptism is a requirement. We need to be baptized. But we can't put too much on it that we have this expectation that we get baptized and the sky will part and God will speak to us and the dove will come down and light on our shoulder. That only happened to Jesus, okay? There, There is real work that needs to be done, right? You know, so... That, that baptism is important, but we can't expect just that one touch like Jesus is right here touching us and bam, we're cleansed, cleansed leper. We have to realize that the root is not just one strand. When we dig up a root or we take a pot out of a, out of a plant out of a pot, there's not just one little root here that just plucks right out. It's all intertwined into all that soil and for every inch width of a tree, if you have a tree that you want to transplant for every inch of uh, diameter that that tree is, you need 30 inch wide scoop out of the ground. So three inches, that means a 90 inch wide scoop out of the ground to get enough roots for that tree to survive and move to another place to be transplanted. That's the root system. So the longer we give this bad behavior and we don't get the healing that we need, the more those roots just become tendrils into everything. So the Bible describes the devil as both the tempter and the accuser of brethren, right? The father of lies and the one that accuses us of sins. He tempts you to do do wrong. And then he says, look, look at you. So the Bible is even talking about this ping pong ball game because he's telling us that he does both. He's not the father of sins. He's the accuser and he's the tempter. He says, uh, you should do this, and you do it, and then he jumps to the other side, and you say, oh, see what you did? You did it wrong. And he makes you feel bad. He makes you feel like less of a Christian. So again, we need to connect ourselves with Jesus, and to those that we reach out to, we need to connect them back to Jesus. We need to lead with prayer, because it's that prayer time is what leads us to Christ and what creates the true transformation. Every addiction goes from feeling bad to trying to feel good, and we end up feeling numb or worse. So what happens to this person? Oops. Oh, here, this is what I was at. They go through this prayer cycle. They go through this prayer cycle of sin and forgiveness 30, 50, 100 times. And what happens to their faith and the hope? 
think my video cra- oh there it goes my video is just really slow like my timing's way off so what happens to your faith you see your faith dwindling over and over and over and the tree will fall apart so we have to remember that when we keep riding this roller coaster that our faith is going to diminish our hope is going to diminish we can't really say that we want if we really want help, we can't say to try harder or to do what you can't do because it, what you're doing is not working. It just keeps leading in the cycle. You just need to try harder. You need to pray harder. Well, now I feel bad because I'm not praying hard enough. I'm not trying hard enough. And now, now not only if, if I came to my church or I came to someone and I said, what can I do? Well, now not only the devil is accusing me, but that, that person's accusing me, which ultimately is the devil working through that person but that person is telling me i'm not doing it right and so he's batting the ball too sometimes it it, it's it's difficult but sometimes in the church we kick people when we're down when they're down when we when we do that what if instead we said let's look at this list of negative thoughts and if you guys picked up the card i gave the card out the last time i was here uh, it had a list, an example list of negative thoughts that we could sit there and sit down with someone or use it for ourselves to say, let's look at these and let's pray and ask the Lord to show us what is it, God, that this is in our life? What is it that I'm dealing with? How can I overcome? You tell me, you work in me. So let's say we've been alone and abandoned and we go to Jesus' story and we say, Okay, how was Jesus believe, uh, tempted to believe he was alone and abandoned? How did he believe that he needed comfort? And we can see that in the garden, in the Gethsemane, he was uh, tempted to believe that the disciples... How many times did the disciples fall asleep? You know, <laughs> just stay awake and pray with me. And they couldn't do that. But how about tempted with food? When he was in the, when he was in the desert for 40 days, Right? He was, uh, he was just baptized. His identity was confirmed. He goes in on a 40-day fast. He's in the, in the desert. And now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say it. But what if, what if he's 10 days in and he's like, God, when's this going to be over? You know, it's, it doesn't say anything about that. But, I mean, if I'm fasting, I'm about two hours in. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I like my food. <laughs> so it can be very difficult to fast. He's, you know, so I imagine that there would be the temptation at least to go at least part way in and be like, God, wait, how long is this going to last? But he goes 40 days and those temptations start coming, right? The devil starts coming and he immediately starts tricking, trying to trick Jesus. And the way he words things is so, this is why we should never uh, never engage the enemy, never engage the devil because the way he words things is just slightly wrong and slightly off and just to trick you. But he says, if you are the son of God, if you are who you think you are, if, you know, after 40 days, no food in a desert, delusional from the sun, if you are, if that baptism wasn't just a dream, make this rock into cheesecake. <laughs> you know he could have made it into bread he could have made it with bread and butter why'd he stop it just bread <laughs> of course <laughs> jesus that temptation will work more on me obviously <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So this root and fruit analogy is very powerful, and that's why Jesus used it very well. Roots are like our experiences. They are what, what uh, uh, we've grown up on. That's what we've experienced in our lives and the lies in our lives and how everything's working. And the fruit is the behavior, and it's the result of that that occurs in our lives. And we need to deal with both. We need to, we need to nip it in the bud, but we also need to go down in that root system and start digging around and figuring out what's going on. And why is that root, why does that uh, bud keep popping up? So can Christ identify with us? Can Christ identify with being tempted with food? Absolutely. Can he be, identify with being tempted to believe he is alone and abandoned? Absolutely. Can he, believe, can he be tempted to believe he has to provide for himself in his own strength? Absolutely. Hebrews 2.18, suffered, being tempted. Being tempted with the pull of temptation so I can receive his victory. Remember in Sabbath school we were talking about, I think we brought it up, that a lot of times we are tempted in these bad events. When things are the worst, that's when the temptations are the strongest. And that's when we have to make a choice. Do we tempt, do we comfort ourselves or do we look to the Holy Spirit? We see that Jesus Christ experienced real temptation. He was a real Savior. He experienced real suffering. He can identify with temptations, but the Bible says he never sinned. He never once turned to himself. You know, we say, sometimes I've heard people talk about, well, you know, the, the bread thing, the, you know, him making bread, that was, you know, that wasn't about food. No, it was about him providing for himself. 40 days without food, that's on the verge of death, you know, and, and that's, for, that's a temptation for him to provide for himself. He couldn't have made it, you know, that temptation wouldn't work for us because I can, no matter how hard I, I've tried, that rock never turns into a snicker bar. <laughs> so it's not a temptation for us to try and convert anything into that. But all we have to do is, I mean, I can almost smell a snicker bar. It's so close. It's right over there in that gas station. It, 99 cents plus tax. Actually, they're more expensive now. But that's the thing is it, it's not necessarily about the food. It's about the providing for ourselves. Are we going to try and comfort ourselves? Are we going to let this behavior override it to numb our experiences or are we going to rely on the Holy Spirit Christ can offer us this victory we can pray through it we can rely on Jesus Christ here's a sample prayer dear Lord Jesus thank you for choosing to fulfill prophecy going through the experience of being tempted in the wilderness to provide food in your own strength and comfort yourself being tempted to believe the same kind of negative thoughts I have, that I am alone and abandoned, taking all of this to the death on the cross so you could rise from the dead to heal me and set me free because I am receiving your forgiveness and your promise that you will never leave me alone. In your name, amen. What does Hebrews say? Hebrews 13.5, God has said, promised, I will never leave you or let you be alone. We need to pray for God's promises so it moves from here to here. We need to lead the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need to pray. Bring it down. But 
we always have to remember, is it good enough to put God's promises on top of lies in our heart? When the disciples, when Jesus said He was going to suffer and die and rise again, He told the truth. But did the disciples believe it in their heart? No, absolutely not. They bailed on Him in the garden. They, were, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't handle it. They, they were falling asleep and they were just gone. So, when we put lies, or when we put truth on top of lies, when we put God's promises on top of lies in our heart, the lies always win. So it's not enough to just do that. We have to deal with those roots. Jesus says in Luke, Luke 24, 25, And He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. You see, it's not just about food. Uh, I already just talked about that. We okay, so so I got ahead of myself there. Uh, <clears throat> so we try to provide ourselves a solution or fix, whether that's eating, anger, or whatever. So here's an example: which is which is deeper? Which is deeper affecting our lives? A man is out committing adultery. He's he's cheating on his wife. He's going to destroy his marriage, his relationship with his kids. Is, is that deeper? Or is it deeper that he doesn't trust God to provide love in his marriage? Because that's ultimately what he's doing. If he goes out and he finds someone else, if he goes out and commits adultery, he's saying, I don't believe God can fix this marriage, so I've got to take care of it myself. And we have to discover the roots of why that thought is even taking place. We need to get at those roots because otherwise it keeps popping up. The deeper, the underlying thought is that we're not trusting God. We need to dig down. We need to take a look at these roots. Now sometimes, I, I, again, I, I keep driving in this thought of receive. That we thought, we thought about we have to do things. We have to do it. We need to trust God more. We need to do this. We need to do that. And we need to receive. I cannot overcome. I cannot do it. I need to receive God. In Colossians, it says, Just as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so go on living in Him in simple faith. Grow out of Him as a plant grows out of the soil it is planted in. Become more and more sure of the faith as you were taught it, and your lives will overflow with joy and thankfulness. Again, the Bible using the same analogy of roots and plants and soil and all these different things. Grow out of it. We need to, as believers now and for the rest of the li our lives, we need to receive His victory, His purity, His power. It is what He does for us, not what for what we do for ourselves. The roots of our healing are connected to Jesus' suffering connect to Jesus, connect to his, his story with our story. Day in and day out, pray to receive His victory. Pray to ask Him to make us aware of these underlying problems and these underlying roots that we need to deal with. I promise you, when you rely on Jesus, not just for forgiveness, but to work on those roots, you will see a transformation in your lives. If you bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that You 
that you make us aware of these negative roots, these roots and these lies that the devil has put upon us, the lies that make us believe we're alone, that we're shamed, that we're guilty, lies that we're betrayed, lies that we're humiliated. Jesus Christ went through all of these things. He suffered more than any of us could possibly imagine. He was tempted more than all of us, and He overcame all of it. He showed us that He can do it. That it is possible for Him. And that all we need to do is accept Him into our lives to to pray fervently for Your healing in us. God, we just ask each and every day that we die daily. That You remind each of us to, to come before You to to open our hearts, to open our minds, to give you the opportunity to point out those experiences, those negative thoughts that we can, that we can start relating those, to relating Jesus Christ's suffering to those, to our lives, that we can start experiencing real healing, that we can start growing abundantly out of Christ's roots. God, we ask that you do all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.